0: Welcome to the Wits and Weights podcast, where we discuss getting strong and healthy with strength training and sustainable nutrition. I'm your host, Philip Pape, and in each episode, we examine strategies to help you achieve physical self-mastery through a healthy skepticism of the fitness industry and a commitment to consistent nutrition and training for sustainable results. Welcome to another episode of Wits and Weights. Today, I have a very special guest, Eric Degatti, and we're going to talk about training. Eric has spent over 20 years in the fitness industry as a coach, trainer, and instructor. Each year, he travels around the world teaching and speaking to trainers, coaches, and therapists as the lead instructor for functional movement systems and guest speaker for prestigious organizations, including the Navy SEALs, the Mayo Clinic, and multiple major universities. Eric also appeared in the New York Times bestseller, The 4-Hour Body by Tim Ferriss, his list of training clients includes an Olympic gold medalist, All-Americans, national champions, World Series champions, and Pro Bowl athletes. Eric's latest projects include Diamond Revolution Training, an online training platform for baseball and softball athletes, and the principles of program design an educational workshop series and coaching service for trainers and con- clinicians On the art and science of designing training programs he also has a really cool podcast that i've been listening to lately and eric it's great to have you on the show thanks for joining me to talk training
1: thanks for having me and thanks for for being a listener and we can't wait to get you on there at some point yeah
0: likewise i I love talking this can talk about it all day and i want to start by digging into your background as a coach and trainer specifically around programming Uh, but i do want to get into performance and injury prevention a little bit later Tell us about your background and I guess your unique approach to training and programming.
1: Okay, so um the the, the background is that I was always fascinated um you know, but the the impact of, of of training and how what it can have and so uh the kind of to go all the way back, I had a situation where I was always, you know, it depending on how loosely you use the term, I was an athlete growing up, I always loved playing baseball and in and football were my two main sports, but you get to a point at 5, 6 where uh you realize those who can't do must teach and so uh how can i get into sports and do something so i kind of always had that in the back of my mind um at the same time i was in my early 20s late teens and i had some really bad back issues don't know why um and was sleeping on the floor for about 4 months or so and my mother you know because i was just stubborn and stupid and my mother said look you got to go get this checked out you're not going to live your life like this you're too young so i went to my general practitioner i didn't know any better Mm -hmm. um, wait in the office for, for two hours to go sit on, you know, the paper for another hour. And then finally have him look at my back. I was joking. He looked at my back. Like I would look if you opened up the hood of my truck, like, I have no idea what I'm even looking for unless like there's an extension cord. I'm booked. Right. So, uh, he looked at my back like that and said, Oh, it could be anything. And I said, really? I just waited three hours for you to tell me it could be anything. So I I got frustrated and I said, you know what, I'm just going to go to the gym. I'm just going to look at every machine or exercise that says back. And I don't care what it does or how it does. I'm just going to try them all. And I started doing it. And by shit luck, my back started feeling better. So it got me into investing time in the gym. And I said, you know what? If I'm going to invest this time, I want to at least know I'm doing it right. Started learning more and more and sitting let me Let me give this a shot. And so went and and started off with getting every certification that there was. And back in the, you know, mid to late nineties, if you sent me a, a brochure or pamphlet in the mail for, Hey, we got a certification, you got a sucker. Cause I would buy it. So I did every certification there was, and then lucked out and met uh, some cool people along the way. I was able to do two levels of Paul checks internship with him. I did two levels of Charles Poliquin's internship uh, and then I also got the the uh unique ability to meet uh, both Liebert and Gray Cook when they're in the real early stages of f m s before it was even really a course and so you know when they had their first Uh, One of their first live certification courses, I brought my whole staff there um, and then kind of got hooked in and kept, you know, kept bugging them. And they said, you know what, you kind of know this stuff. Why don't you come help us teach some courses? And that led to, hey, do you think you could teach a course and became one of their lead instructors back in around 2005, 2006. Um, And what drew me to the FMS was the same thing that drew me to a lot of those other uh, courses that, that I always was fascinated by the assessment piece that, you know what, why would I guess? You know, I, when I went to the gym in the beginning, I guess, mm-hmm. but if I would have known this information ahead of time and had somebody tell me, no, you need to do these and not these, I could have saved a lot of wasted time. So anything that would teach me anything in terms of better information gathering and data gathering. So, uh, you know, I, I did every course I could, you know, from a fitness side, but then also at the same time, my brother was going to school for his doctorate in physical therapy. So I'd steal his books and sneak into his classes and start to learn about stuff like Shirley Sarman, Vladimir Yanda, and, and concepts of movement and and how people uh can gain better uh, awareness and 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 better performance through those types of avenues and that led me down to all other trails learning about you know alexander technique and feldenkrais and all these different and I said you know what everybody out here is this one trick pony and it's all um, a a kind of like pick your guru type of industry, mm-hmm. right? I remember early on, I had uh, a check shirt on at a at a conference and a guy who I kind of knew, he goes, oh, I, I know who you are. He goes, you're one of those check guys. I can't talk to you. I'm like, what does that mean? I'm also a Zatsyorsky guy. I'm also a Polycrane guy. I'm also mm-hmm. che- like, I'm about 50 different guys. And why wouldn't you take all those things that you have at your disposal and put them all into one soup? And so ever since then, it's always been this accumulation of what else can I put into the recipe and, and make it better. So I can make this a more efficient and effective process. And that's kind of what the education has been and and continues to be. And so, um, trying to look at things holistically and not just go a mile deep, but also be a mile wide. There's a, um, you know, great term that, that Kelly Sturette uses called being a savage generalist. And that's what I strive to be daily.
0: Wow. That's amazing. So so you're like a sponge. Um, it it sounds like you started early kind of, most people have the back injuries later in life. Right. And then they go through the MRI process and they go through that. And then maybe they get lucky enough for someone to tell them, maybe we should start getting stronger. And you came in from the other direction. Right. And then we're talking that the nineties, uh, This is mid
1: to to, late nineties. Yeah.
0: So, so you actually had to read
1: books, right? You had to
0: seek out real teachers for this. Yeah.
1: There wasn't, there was nothing online. I mean, my original courses, and now I'm really dating myself. All my original like check information was on VHS. Like I have a bunch of stuff, courses on CDs and like for your listeners, I'll have to explain what those are. VHSs were big boxes of tape that would get (laughs) stuck in this giant machine. Um, CDs were these little round metal circles that you'd have to play. And if you didn't stand completely still, they would skip. Uh, but that's how I got a lot of my education. Uh, there wasn't nearly as much available to it. And so, uh, it was, it was more of a quest than it was just let it fall in your email inbox.
0: Yeah. And then it sounds like you, through tons of trial and error and learning, soaking it up and becoming an instructor over time, you became a better coach and trainer, which I think is a journey a lot of us um, have gone on, as opposed to, let's say, the person who gets everything from social media and maybe immediately goes out and, and is a guru, as as you said before. So I guess if we step back and look at the big picture... What would you say from all this knowledge you've gained and all this synthesis and distillation of the information that the big priorities, the big things that people should focus on if they're just getting started? So they're, they're overwhelmed, right? They haven't gone through two, three, well, however many decades of learning that you did. Um, health, fitness, performance, where do they start?
1: Um, that's a great question. Uh, so the, the first thing is uh, be have a critical eye, um, you know, in, in, and even to this day, I always wake up with the assumption that everything I've learned to this point could be completely wrong, right? Because there's a lot of things mm-hmm. that we that I did learn back then that are that have been dispelled. Whether and it was at the time that was the best information that we had. Um, whether it was remember you had that magic window, you had to get your protein shake in mm-hmm. after P&L your workout, window, yeah, right. And so that's kind of been disproven. Um, we thought that there was these these really strict cutoff points that once you got to six reps, that's where hypertrophy kicked in. Mm-hmm. And then once you got to 12 or 15, then it shut off. Yeah. Well, now <laughs> you can, you can really get that from like three to 30 reps, right? Mm-hmm. So always waking up every morning and being humble to say, you know what, everything I learned yesterday could be completely wrong. And I'm going to wake up today and try to prove it. And if at the end of the day, it still holds, then I'm going to keep that in my toolbox. Um, and so like, if you look at different things that have come along in our industry at the two extremes, like yoga, there's a reason it's been around for thousands and thousands mm-hmm. of years, cause it stands the test of time. And there's so much gold and, and elegance and, and what is in that model, um, whatever version of it you you've come to know. And then like curves was come and gone in a year. Right. And so, um, even with those, those things like that, and not to, to bash anyone model, but there, <coughs> there was still something in there. Then I'm going to say, okay, it worked for a while. What sure. was it about it that worked? And where did they fail? Well, what worked for a while is they tapped into a segment of the population that we're not getting. And, and we can get into the weeds on this one. The, yeah, we're, we're failing massively really to get people engaged because the vast majority of people don't exercise. Right. The, cool. the, the people that are listening to this or we're preaching to the choir. Right. It's the, the vast majority that are that are on scooters and Walmarts that are just broken um, that we need to get to. Um, but but the, the 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 challenge is, is how do we get to them? And and what what a place like Curves did is that all right, we're going to give you a safe place. If you're an, if you're someone who's an insecure, maybe overweight and female, we're going to give you a safe place to work mm-hmm. out. And we were too just dumb of meatheads to realize the gym business up until recently was just – it was just a meathead place. It it intimidated people. It scared people away. And and so they gave a safe space. So how can we capitalize on that and just give a better delivery of product but still capitalize on that? You know, CrossFit. Everybody likes to hit on CrossFit. But CrossFit has – has done an incredible job of changing our vision of what fitness is. And for a lot of people out there, up until they came along, it was, I go into a gym with shiny machines that I sit on a machine that does one thing. I look at the little placard and it says, mm-hmm. it does this muscle and I do 10 reps. And then when I'm done, I go, just up, just on other up. Mm-hmm. I go up on another machine and I just you know do that for a half <laughs> hour with blinking lights. And that's what I thought fitness was. And you know that really bored the shit out of people and scared people away. So CrossFit made it one where, hey, I can I can do some athletic things. I can do things that are outside of that that model. Two is it's tapping into there's a there's a, an any need in our DNA to be challenged, and they push that button. You're instead, said you're better than just doing a seated you know back and forth fix machine. You can do more things. And then the biggest thing is they created a culture where they're they're extremely loyal uh, within that brand, and so it created a culture where people felt comfortable and people wanted to be part of that. And so that is those are some of the things we need to tap into in the fitness industry that we're not doing a really good job of. We're getting better at it because we're getting a better demographic involved with us. But that's something that that as trainers and coaches that is a blind spot for us.
0: Matt, I agree with everything you said there's there's a lot to unpack but I, I want to touch on a couple things so the CrossFit story is my story <laughs> just so you know um most of my life was pretty sedentary I didn't have an athletic background like you and it was maybe when I, we were pregnant with our first kid that I said I need to get in shape and CrossFit called to me for whatever reason and and I credit it for learning about barbells learning uh, the olympic lifts right um may, maybe it injured me along the way too but you know I learned a lot from it and you're you're a uh, your insight here about appealing to more people and the average person who who's just sitting out there not working out, how, how do we take something that we know is effective, right? You mentioned, I hate to use the term ev- evidence-based, but effectively what you described earlier was the scientific method of taking things at work, jettisoning things that don't, and continuing to refine what we know and not assuming that we know everything. Um, how do we take that approach combined with whatever we think is the most effective form of training? Maybe it's, maybe it's strength, maybe it's hypertrophy or whatever for an individual and, and get them to do that. So like, if, if, if we think strength is, is the foundation, uh, how do we get more, you know, soccer moms to be interested in that?
1: So I, I think – and this is going to be a little bit dar- different answer than than trying to sell people on strength training because sure. I don't need to sell you on strength training. Sure. I need to sell the person who, who has no clue. And if we try to sell them on all the research mm-hmm. and the data and all that stuff, they know all that. And everybody knows yeah. that we shouldn't be eating cheese-filled pretzels at the mall, but we still do it, sure. right? Mm-hmm. So I'm going to say the first two things is – and this is a skill set that that I don't think we have enough as coaches and trainers – is we need to be we need to be able to to uh create a, an avenue of honesty and awareness okay and i think those is where that's where we need to start number one awareness to realize that most people don't know what they don't know uh there's kind of that that famous four levels of competence there's the the the, bo- the bottom layer is unconscious incompetence you're screwed up and you don't even know it right um mm-hmm. that's when someone walks into me and they do a movement screen or we do something they're like wow i i can't even bounce on one leg or i can't even rotate to the right i didn't even know you know, walking around. But now that I know the next year is that conscious incompetence, meaning I'm screwed up, but what do I do about it? That's where most Western medicine leaves you. They're going to slap you with a label and you have itis itis or whatever they're going to call it. And okay, I got that, but what do I do about it? Or am I just, that's my scarlet letter. I got to live with that. I have, you know, I have, you know, SI joint issues, or I have, you know, sciatica, or I have all these things that people label themselves with and they don't even know what it means. Um, then the next step is conscious competence meaning you can do this you can fix this but you're going to have to be very aware to do it it means you're going to have to change your habits you're going to have to change your awareness you're going to have to 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 gain that and once you do that and for long enough then that's going to become natural it's going to become reflexive that's the ultimate layer that we got to get you to is this unconscious incompetence where you don't you don't think twice about you know going and going for a walk as part of your day cuz that's now part of who you are
0: mm-hmm.
1: and part of that that awareness piece is also getting the awareness of where are you coming into this, you know, and at what point are you coming into this? And, and I always say, when we write a program, I need to know three things. I need to know about your past. What was your medical history, injury history, training history, all those things coming into it, because that's all going to factor in. Then I need to know where your present is. And that's where we really need to, to be honest. And that's where our evaluation will kind of sift some of that out. And it's not to, to, to say, oh, you're dysfunctional or imbalanced or all the terms that, that are we like to use, but it's to, to say, okay, well, here's where we need to start. Right, We can get to a lot of places. This isn't where you're going to end, but this is where we're going to start. And at that point is an interesting uh, uh, um, awareness piece of where are you coming to it from. So you have two different segments of the population that I, I talk about. You have, the, you have people that are fragile and you have people that are broken right? The fragile people are the ones that since COVID have done, the most movement they've done is to go get up and get the Doordash. dash, right? Um, that they're very sedentary. And so because of that, their bodies are starting to wilt away and break down. Um, and so that person comes into you and they say, oh, my shoulder, my hip, my knee hurts, right? That's going to be a very different person than the broken person. The broken person is the one who might've still been sitting in a couch doing Zooms for the last three years, but They've gone out and they've done obstacle course races or joined CrossFit or did whatever, and now their shoulder hip or their knee or back hurts. They're two very different people. If you just get out your recipe sheet for here's what I do for knee knee pain, you're going to fail miserably. Neither of those people are going to get better because they're there for different reasons. And they also may be going back to different environments. So you need to know what's the future. Where do I need to get you to? Do you want to just be able to get up and down the stairs without pain? Or do you want to go play competitive tennis? And part of that is challenging people to say, is that all that you expect of yourself? Right. So at some point you looked yourself in the mirror and said, like, I don't want to feel like this. Like I'm better than this. And like barbells don't scare me. This is actually kind of fun. And I, I expect more of myself at my age to, than to be doing what, what, what I'm doing and, and kind of being able to push that button and have that real adult conversation to say, what is sufficient for you? And are you at that point? And you know, what are you willing to trade off to 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 get to that point? Because it may mean you got to go to bed a little bit earlier. It may mean you got to maybe change your your diet a little bit. And it may mean that you're gonna have to do some training that may be a little bit uncomfortable at points, but but that's gonna get you to where you're you're gonna be satisfied with your level of physical sufficiency. And so that's really a different approach, is really coming at it from an awareness and honesty place to say, you know, if you got the if you got the 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 person who's fragile, they're scared to death to move. My brother, you know, does research and he's, you know, looked at outcomes and he studies outcomes for a living. And he looked at what is one of the main reasons people fail in physical therapy. It is n- number one is fear and avoidance of movement. They're scared shit to move, mm. right? So you tell that person, Hey, you need to go train and work out They're They're scared to death. So how do I get them in a non-intimidating way to get them to embrace movement? And then for the broken person, Right. A lot of times they're broken because they're the, you know, and I'm going to date myself again. Remember Al Bundy, right? Sure. From Married Your Children, who McChilden, always talked yep. about how mm-hmm. he, he scored four touchdowns in the state championship game. Well, there's an entire demographic that I, that's one of the group demographics that I seem to be getting a lot of is that 35 to 65 year old that scored four touchdowns in the state championship game and thinks they're still that person. Meanwhile, they haven't moved in 10, 20 years mm-hmm. and they want to be that person and they're frustrated that they're not that person. But they can't. But if they go and start an, an exercise routine, and they just go load up the bench and they wreck their shoulder, like, uh, well, I guess I'm ready for the rocking chair now. I guess I'm broken. I can't do that anymore. And it's like, no, you're, you're better than that. You you may not be able to go back to exactly what you were at 18, but you could be a lot better than you were now. And the and looking at the the you know the the front you know windshield as opposed to the rear view, you know you you got your your uh your later years coming at you really fast. And what do you want those to look like? You know, Peter Mm -hmm. Tia does a very elegant job of talking about your marginal decade and say, that's the last 10 years of your life. What do you want that to look like? And if you want to still be able to carry the groceries and go upstairs and not be a burden to your family, well, we know that just the the science shows you're going to lose a certain amount of growth hormone or a certain amount of mobility and so forth every decade. So we got to get ahead of that. And if you're 50 now, that means you should be here if you want to be there at 75. Mm -hmm. So we need to do everything we need to do to get you there right now. And, and framing it that way is, is coming from an, a, an honest place that people can really appreciate that you're you're, they want to be challenged.
0: Yeah, you you're just throwing tons of wisdom at me, Eric. I'm trying to keep up with everything here. But so here's so here's here's what comes to mind. If if someone is listening and they say, This is this is amazing. So I need to I need to increase my awareness, understand where I've been, where I wanna go. So it's gonna be very goal specific, right? We have to have individualized approach that deals with my injury history and things like that. And I know a lot of people want to figure things out for themselves. Like you said, they're just some people just jump right into exercising and we talk about the difference in exercise and training, or I think you, you, you talk about a workout versus a program. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, short of having an amazing coach like you, and hopefully there's, there's coaches out there that are accessible to people, but, can can someone do a self-assessment and kind of figure this out on their own um should they be working with a coach what's what's the thought process what's the general process to avoid injury and start on the right footing
1: okay so yeah you need to kind of figure out where you're at now because you need it's just as the assessment is is basically writing your program so when i'm doing an assessment on somebody you know day one first thing i tell you is Philip i have no idea what i'm going to do with you right and mm-hmm. you're like what are you talking about you've been doing this 25 years you have not where's your template? i have no idea, have no idea <laughs> yeah, what to exactly. do with you now an hour later i'm going to have a real good idea what to do with you and what not to do with you because as we go through an assessment that writes the program for me so it's going to tell me there's certain things so it's you know it's kind of like a menu And if you have certain food intolerances or food allergies, you know, going in, looking at a menu, there's certain foods you just need to avoid, right? And it's same thing with exercise, that if you can't touch your toes, you know, probably deadlifting, kettlebell swings, not the best thing for you. Could you get away with it a couple of times? Sure. But you can also get away with smoking Marlboro Reds and drinking whiskey every day for a while, (laughs) right? Sometimes longer than others, but I wouldn't use that as my my plan for, for living a long, healthy life. So kind of knowing what that menu is and then the better you move, the more that 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 menu expands, the better, more fit you are, the more that menu expands. So figuring out what's my menu to start with, what can I and can I not do now? The the low uh, hanging fruit is like just going for a walk. That's everybody can do that. And sure. and some people don't even there was we were talking before we went on and talking about Twitter debates. And like there was a there was a uh, Twitter debate about if walking counts as exercise and it made me want to quit the industry on the spot. And it's like, this is, this is really what we're arguing about. Why? Like, of course it's exercise. It makes a huge impact. Even if you're fit, it's going to make an impact in terms. You could, you know, use that for recovery. You can use that for a lot of things. So like, how would you, this is why people don't want to exercise because we're idiots arguing about trap bar deadlifts and if walking counts. Right. So, um, that's where that's where you kind of start. So a coach is going to be really helpful to decipher that because you're going to save a lot of time. And what is it you, the, you know, time is your most valuable asset. It's the one thing that that'll never come back. You know, th- this day, this time will never be here again. So how much is your time worth? So with that, for me, I'd rather save the time and invest a little bit up front and say, hey, where do I start? Now, if you get a good coach, the other thing they'll they'll do is they'll not make you dependent on them. My goal is to get the training wheels off as soon as possible so you don't need me anymore. I don't I'm not here for you to count your reps or count your sets or show you exercises. I have means I can deliver that to you through through an app and through videos and those sorts of things. I the last thing I want to do is watch you exercise. My thing is to get you the game plan, right? You can get exercise for free on YouTube. Don't pay me for that, right? The the thing is you don't know which ones to do. You don't know when to do them. You don't know how many to do. You don't know uh, yeah. you know, how to structure all of that. So that's what I'm here for. Don't come to me for exercises. If you're just getting exercises, then like I, like you said earlier, that's just a workout. Now, that's not to say a workout's a bad thing. Every once in a while, a workout may be fun. Um, you can go do something as a workout and it's fun, but doesn't it may not get to your to your goal. That's what a program is. And there's a big difference between the two. Now workouts can be within a program, provided they're specific for for what your your needs and goals are.
0: Got it. And uh I think the parallel in the nutrition space, because that's what I do would be don't come to me for a macro plan. Don't come to me for a meal plan, right? We're trying to learn a bunch of skills that'll that'll allow you to fire me in six months and, and, and choose how to get to your goal whenever you want in the future. So I, I like that analogy from a training perspective. And actually a few years back, um, I uh, my back squat was terrible and I finally said I've got to get a coach because I had had coaches over the years But you know, I got stubborn and said I can do this myself Finally got a coach and in one hour he fixed the things that had been plaguing me for two years So just for for the listeners out there The time is money thing is really important because now you've avoided years of potential injury and and lack of progress um, so yeah, I, I, I like that analogy workout and a program um And we talked about it has to be individualized based on your goals based on your movement capabilities So if, and you said people will get stronger, generally, if they start on a movement, they may be weakened, but let's talk about the, what did you say? Broken? I think, um, person fragile, fragile and broken, fragile and broken. And I don't know if broken also includes, let's say an older client who might have arthritis in their shoulder and they just can't do an overhead press, for example, what, you know, how, how would you handle that situation?
1: So my first question back is why can't they do the overhead press, Mm -hmm. right? So the arthritis doesn't necessarily tell me anything because if you took an MRI and an X-ray of everything in my body right now, God knows what you'd find. (laughs) Most doctors would tell me to be, to lay in bed and don't move, right? But I, I still do everything I need to to do. I, yesterday I front squatted, I did pull-ups, I do all those things. And, and so if we, if we look at a lot of these things, we can get scared. And unfortunately there's, there's some unscrupulous clinicians who prey on that to say, Oh, you have a bulging disc, You have this disc, you, you have this spinal abnormality. You know what? 90% of people over 35 have that. If everybody, if all of those were, if all those calls direct back pain, everybody be in, in, you know, be writhing in pain right now, but they're not most of that's asymptomatic. So why did, why is this I- an issue for you? Is it a mobility problem? Right, and if it's a mobility problem, is it something I can even do something about? Is it a mobility problem because there's a joint issue? Well, that you may need to get some clinicians' hands on, um, or it may not be able to be fixed other than surgical. Or is it is it a motor control problem? Is it a strength issue? Is it is it a, uh, uh, any one of these issues? That's what we have to filter out first. So now I'm not guessing because just, just to make the assumption. Oh, I have arthritis in my shoulder. I can't overhead press. I'm, that's I don't buy that. I have to find out why and find out why do you have the restriction. And then there may very well be a restriction. And then here's the reality. You could also live a really long, happy life without doing an overhead press. And so I still need to give you the capability to get your arms overhead so you get something out of the cabinet That's the, or get your shirt on. But it doesn't mean I need to overhead press a dumbbell. There's a lot of different ways I can go about that. And there's a lot of different, you know, uh, artful ways I can make regressions and, and, and lateralizations to, to steal a Charlie Weingroff term um, of, of those things that will, will create a similar effect without causing more damage.
0: Okay. Yeah. So that's a fair point, right? People get stuck in thinking they have to do certain movements to get stronger. They have to get certain movements to build muscle. And, and you're saying that there are plenty of options there and you have to work with the person uh, and figure out what it is. Now, so, here's, here's uh, the other
1: thing. I'll, 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 I'll as a, as a counter argument to those people who get caught in this dogmatic thing of you have to do your push pull strength, right? All that whole you know laundry list that we all know is, are you training? The term, the, the phrase I like to use, are you training to get good at exercise or you're training to get good. Right. So there's a lot of people who move really, really well, like go watch a martial artist, go watch like Ido portal or somebody like that move and ask them on the last time you did a dumbbell overhead press. Mm-hmm. Like we're so dogmatic and we're thinking that it has to be confined to this set of exercises. And, and what if I get better at that? Did I really get stronger or did I just get good at an exercise? Right. right. A real strength is where I can walk into any setting and I can actually apply that, right? If I'm only good at your, your exercises that you pick based on a, a set of confirmation biases that you have, I'm just good at your workout. I'm not really strong, right? When I can actually go and, and do things like the joke I like to use is if you work out all the time, but you still can't help me move a couch, your workout sucks, right? You should be able to apply that you know, in, in multiple ways. Now there is some levels of specificity, uh, you know, you're not going to go from being a champion cyclist to a champion marathon runner. We saw that with Lance Armstrong, who's the greatest cyclist in history, but was a middle of the pack marathoner. There is some specificity in there, but there's a general physical preparedness that, you know, you don't need to do, you know, and you could never touch a barbell or a dumbbell and still be very, very capable at those things.
0: I agree. Hey, this is Philip Pate, letting you know that applications are now open for one-on-one coaching. If you're a busy working professional who has tried dieting and exercising for years with little in the way of results, and you want to lose fat, get lean, or feel confident in your body without excessive dieting, cardio, or restrictions, just go to witsandweights.com coaching to apply. I imagine the average person, at least the person I deal with, you know, who's just looking to improve their body composition generally, mm-hmm. right? That, that's, I would say, the majority of people who aren't don't have a performance, specific performance goal or maybe a longevity goal. Um, where would they start? Let's say they're a female in their 40s who runs a lot. This is a very common archetype. I I see, right. They, they do a lot of Pilates running, yoga, hiking, all this kind of stuff. Um, and just wants to improve their strength and body composition. I mean, I kind of know where I would take her, but I want to hear your take on that. Where would you start?
1: Okay. So, uh, again, I get, just create some basic awareness. Okay. So what's going to create change, uh, in, in your body composition, um, realize that, that number one, in in nature, in the nature of our cells, is that we're fighting to just live another day. Every cell in your body has one job, and it's to live to the next day. And so, it's going to adapt to whatever you do to it. So, whether it's hot in the room and you sweat, or it's cold and you shiver, it's going to adapt. And so, with that, you to, if you're going to create change, you have to create some sort of stimulus to create that change. Now, if you've been doing the same program for a year, two years, whatever time it is, and you're and you're not continually changing. Well, then, because there's not enough stimulus to create an adaptation. So that's number one. So we have to create a stimulus that's going to create that change. And what is the specific adaptation that we're looking for, right? If we want to look better in the mirror, well, that's just basically, you know, three layers. You you know, the most simplistic layer uh, level you have, you have your muscle, you have your skin, and then you got stuff that's in between there. The stuff is what you don't like. The stuff is what makes your shirt uncomfortable, doesn't make you not want to be in a picture, all that kind of stuff. That's got to go away. Right, so you could see the muscle, and then when you get there, hopefully there's some muscle to see, or you're just a skinny fat person, right? And so we need to to, to account for that muscle being there to actually be worth looking at, um, and then the the stuff in between. Well, that's really just your your energy balance, and so with that energy balance, it's a matter of calories in, calories out at the most fundamental level. And then with that, what's going to be the habits and um, processes that are going to make you most successful to stay in that energy balance? Could you eat Fruit Loops and stay under your um, caloric deficit? Yes, you absolutely can. It's just not a real good recipe. Forget the health aspects. Who cares? I just want to look good in the mirror. It's going to be hard to sustain that, right? Because – you're gonna you know any any kid who's ever woken up woken up to watch cartoons on a Saturday morning knows you're not gonna eat just one bowl you're gonna keep going till the box is gone and, <laughs> and, and, whereas you know nobody ever ate way too much spinach right um you know like i I'm sure you love the people that come in and say, "Well, I heard bananas are high in sugar, I yeah. shouldn't eat those." and say look in 20 years no one's ever come in and said oh i got so fat eating these bananas it's like no it doesn't work that way mm-hmm. so let's get the let's get the reality of what first what are you actually eating are you even aware of that and so let's first let's c- capture what you're actually eating and start to track that that doesn't mean you're going to weigh and measure everything for the rest of your life but you need to be aware of that holy crap i didn't realize there's you know, 700 calories in that whipped cream, fancy thing that I get at Starbucks every day. Um, so save yourself $9 and just have a black coffee, right? Or have a cup of tea or something like that. That's our first step. And what habits can we change from a, from a caloric deficit standpoint, they're going to allow you to be successful. Usually having more protein is going to make you more successful. Usually making sure you get enough um, fiber in, in greens and in, in fruits and, and grains and those things that'll help you be more successful because you're just not, all that hungry after you've eaten enough of that, at least less hungry than if you've eaten a bowl of fruit loops. So let's create the awareness on that path. Right. And then if you've, you've gotten that dialed down then we can always go deeper, but most people Mm -hmm. that's where their biggest struggle is, right. Make sure we get enough water, make sure we get enough protein, make sure we get enough, you know, uh, uh, greens and grains and, and that kind of stuff and fiber. And then, you know what, if it still needs to get more dialed in, then we can always go deeper. Mm -hmm. Um, and then in terms of exercise, we need something that's gonna that's gonna add a little bit of muscle. Doesn't mean you're gonna be a bodybuilder, especially for that woman in her forties. Unless you're taking steroids I don't know about, you're not gonna get too big. I've spent the last twenty years trying to get too big. I wish it happened that easy. <laughs> that's right? the
0: answer. You could try to get too big and you won't get there. Yeah. Yes.
1: <laughs> never has that been a problem. Oh my gosh, I have way too much muscle. So We need to add, we need to have some concern for muscle and we need to do that with some level of strength training. Um, It doesn't have to be bars on your back. It doesn't have to be um, some type of, you know, fancy bodybuilding split, but you need to do something that's going to create some change. The deeper you get, the more you're going to need to get a little bit more specific. But in the beginning, if you have no exposure to it, doing some simple bodyweight stuff is going to be more than enough. Um, So let's start there. And then the other thing I want to do is to make this something that's that's doable, because what's the challenge most people have? You know, the, the most famous four words in diet and exercise, especially with body composition, is it all starts Monday, right? Mm-hmm. Is that yep. they they can't stay consistent and create the habit. So I said, all right, let's make this livable, right? Now, there are some exceptions to this, because there are some people that have true food addictions. But let's talk about just the the general person who's not in that subcategory. I tell them, we're going to live by the 80-20 rule. If you follow everything I ask you to do from an exercise and diet standpoint, 80% of the time, the other 20%, screw off, have whatever you want to have. You want to have a slice of pizza, whatever ice cream, whatever your vice is. Or if you skip a workout and I'm, you're supposed to do five days a week, you do four, I'll still take it and you'll still get to where you want to be at a reasonable pace that you'll be happy with, right? And so that way, that way we can honestly now look when you hand me a food log and I look at your journal of what you've eaten and say, okay, well... You're really like 50 50. That's not 80 mm-hmm. 20, right? If you want to have the, the freedom to go and get that that slice of pizza, you got to dial it up a notch, right? Because you're 50 50 right now. And then starting to, to kind of challenge them say, okay, you got to push this in 80 20. You can't go 100, right? I shouldn't say yeah. that. You can. You can't. But-
0: restrictive. But here's what's right? gonna happen: yeah. you're gonna
1: be miserable. Like I mm-hmm. won 100. I competed in bodybuilding. I brought a <clears> cooler <throat> bag to family dinners. You know what that's like being an Italian guy from Jersey when you show up with 60 people eating pot, trays of food and you have a cooler bag. Yeah, to- totally normal, right? Totally. And, normal. and your grandfather's yelling at you <laughs> in Italian, trying to figure out what what's your problem. So, like, that's bizarre. That's not normal behavior, right? But I was doing it for a specific goal, and so what the specific goal is is it changes your percentages. So I tell people they're in one or two categories. You're. I'd like to change. I'm in no specific rush, but obviously the sooner the better. Good. You're an 80, 20 person to start. Then the second person is I have a tryout. I have a workout. I have the beginning of my season, or I have a wedding. I have a vacation that I have to be ready for. Well, you may not get 80, 20. You may get 90, 10 right? So that, that, you know, three or four, you know, slip ups you get during the week turns into one or two, or maybe none, if we're getting closer and you're not there ready enough, because that date's not changing, you're not going to push back your vacation two weeks. So we have to dial it up a little bit more, but this is going into it, knowing that this is specific for this time period, this is not going to be the rest of your life. And I think framing in that is a little bit easier to handle because now it's uh, uh, anything I want, I don't feel like I'm trapped. I don't feel like I, I, the way I actually do it with, with nutrition is I, I give, and I do this a lot because I work a lot with with high school kids, but I do for everybody. And say, okay, we do the math. You're supposed to eat, say, three meals plus a snack. That's over seven days, 28 meals. So let's make it easy for math. That's you know 25 to 30 meals. That gives you about four or five meals that you can have whenever you want. So I want you to wake up every Monday morning. You got five magic tickets. Now, what you're gonna do is you're gonna cash that in for whatever crap you want to eat, right? You want to go have your fruity drink. You want to go have your your pizza, your, your ice cream, whatever it is. And what you're going to do is you're going to keep them in your back pocket. Don't go out Monday morning for a stack of, of waffles and ice cream, right? Because then you blew all your tickets. And now you got to suffer the rest of the week. What you're going to do is get in situations. And if you have a work dinner or if your friends are going out for pizza, don't be the weirdo with a dry lettuce leaf in the corner, like and ostracize yourself and torture yourself. Have your slice of pizza. Just hand in a ticket and say, I'm okay with it, Right. If you get to the weekend and you got a couple tickets left, you go out for a nice dinner, you have ice cream, whatever you want to have, because they all wash away. You can't carry them over from week to week. And then that way it's like anything I want to really have, a, or I really have a hankering for, I really want, it's no more than four or five days away. So it makes it a whole lot easier to, to manage that. Um, and this is something I can stick with for a long period of time, as opposed to I'm going to do the six week, you know, better abs program.
0: Yeah, I, I agree with everything you said. I mean, going back to the tracking to start, you know, I know there's controversy people have when it comes to tracking. Does it does it cause issues? And and I think the evidence supports that. You know, tracking is associated with better outcomes, assuming you didn't have some some issue uh, beforehand with with tracking. But uh, your strategy of how do we how do we deal with emotional and compulsive eating? We do it by thinking ahead and planning. And there's different ways to do it. And I like your strategy of the tickets. I actually hadn't heard that. Are these physical <laughs> tickets? Or this
1: no, no, they're mental tickets okay. in your head.
0: Because <laughs> that could work too. Um, yeah, and, and I've heard strategies like you know banking, banking for the weekend, or um, you know, you know, planning for a specific day ahead of time, pre logging. You know, there's all these strategies. But the whole, the whole theme I think is you're thinking ahead in, in with a cool head before you get into the moment. And you've planned for it, right? You're planning for your weekly calories. You know what you're trying to hit to hit a specific goal. And like you said, if someone is doesn't have a weigh-in coming up, for example, on a very strict goal, they have a little bit of leeway. You're still trying to hit a specific calorie target for the week, right? We're not just willy nilly saying that we can eat, you know, two whole pizzas on Saturday, right? Um, it still has to fit within there. So yeah, I agree, I agree with everything you said, um, and. Okay, I guess that answers the question. So, what about let's turn to, I guess, performance then. If we did have somebody that had a slightly stricter goal for performance, this doesn't have to be diet related. This we could be talk training again. Um, it could be powerlifting, could be sports endurance. Uh, what are the biggest obstacles that prevent them from performing at their best?
1: So, I just break it down systematically and say, okay, um, make sure we're not going to miss anything. That's everything I do is is just basically a, a checklist. Right. So um, I, I I love the work uh, that Atul Gawande did in his book, the Checklist Manifesto, where he just talks about the impact and power of checklists. And he used it in medicine, but I translate that in a training. So, OK, on my big global checklist to say, especially for performance, there's three fundamental layers. So like Gray Cook was my mentor, my mentors use it as movement, performance and skill and to kind of take a step back so people can understand that the, the layperson, when I explain it to him, I said there's there's. There's competency, there's capacity, and then skill. So competency is can you even get into the positions and shapes and postures you need to get in to perform that thing, whatever that thing is you're gonna do? So you, you know, you want to go play tennis. Can you even rotate? Can you even lunge to decelerate? Can you get balance on a single leg? Can you can you do all those things that are gonna show up on a tennis court? Because if you can't even get to those positions in a slow, controlled environment now. You certainly aren't going to get into them Mm -hmm. at least well, you know, once we get out there at full speed and the ball's coming at you. So I want to check the competency box. Do you at at least have that baseline of movement competency? Then from there, I'm going to look at your capacity and to say, okay, do you have, are you physically fit enough to play that sport? And then that means you need to generate a certain amount of, you need to have a certain amount of strength. You need to generate a certain amount of power and speed, have a certain, uh, a level of agility and so forth. And then from there, we can look at the specifics of, Hey, I can't get to my forehand because of a lack of, you know, rotation of my T-spine or, I'm struggling with my serve because I can't get hip extension. Whatever that may be, we can dial that down. But most people go right to that, right? They're going to come in and say, oh, I went and my tennis coach said I can't get hip extension. He gave me these stretches I should do. I'll say, oh, back, back up. Okay, so did you know that you can't even touch your toes? Like that would probably be a bigger start than trying to do some really specific stretch. Cause maybe if we clear up the big global stuff, that that really local specific stuff, that may just go away. Mm-hmm. And we also may check a whole lot of other boxes in between. So we kind of start global and then we'll go down to regional and then we'll go down to, to, to really local when it comes to movement. And then the same thing will happen when it comes to the, to the levels of competency and then translating that to skill. So that's really just the checklist that I go through. And the higher you go up the chain, the more specific you get. So um, that's really how I kind of go through that journey with an athlete and explain to him that we're still gonna have to go back and check those boxes every once in a while. Cause we, if we get too deep into capacity, we may actually steal from some of our competency. Right. And I've seen that too many times. I worked in the NFL for nine years where more than one athlete has told me, you know, I moved so much better before I got into the NFL. Now, obviously there's the, there's the, you know, the, the, Physicality of the game that beats them up, but but they say just athletically. I was just more athletic before I got here, and they kind of train that out of me, unfortunately. Mm. Um, and we have to make sure that we don't do that; that we don't screw people up.
0: Now, as far as capacity, would you—is there an aspect of capacity that is universal? I mean, between different sports and different types of athletes, where you see a recurring theme that that that's common? If you know what I'm getting at,
1: yeah, uh, are there some baseline You know, markers. And that's, again, having having a system, you have baseline markers to say, okay, once we've hit this, unless you have a very specific goal for strength, as an example, I think we're strong enough. And then now we can move on to other things. Right. And I have those things. So a lot of times I'll start off athletes with a lot of unilateral training in the beginning say, okay, I want to have you be able to do a single arm floor press. I want to have you be able to do a, a Bulgarian sp- split squat. I want to do a single leg RDL. And for every one of those, I have markers relative to body weight that I want you to be able to hit. Once you can hit those, if we need to go deeper down the road of strength, then that's where we can get you know, more specific that way. But once we've kind of hit those, I just, my job is just to maintain those. And every once in a while, I'll keep those in there just to make sure we're we're still hitting those marks. But now there's a lot of other boxes to check. Like when I talk about my performance pyramid with an athlete, there's 59 boxes of things okay. that, that we want to look at. So I say, I can't spend all my time working on strength. It's one, mm-hmm. it's one. I got 58 others I got to get to. So yeah, that's you want to get to a minimum. Okay. By having markers say, at least you've hit yeah. the minimum. Now, do you need more than the minimum for your sport? That depends. Like, how strong do you really need to be to hit a golf ball? How strong do you really need to be to ride, a, ride a, a bike? Obviously, more would be beneficial, but if it comes at the expense of other things I'm not getting to that are even more beneficial, that's a prioritization problem.
0: Okay. Does anybody like Bulgarian split squats? <laughs>
1: <laughs> i mean weirdos like me you know kind of like them but uh or i you know doing an iso version of that's even more you know uh sadistic but and no one's ever said hey can we do more split holds but um, where, where
0: do you hold that position for the ISOs? Is at, at,
1: at the bottom, bottom? Yeah. at the bottom hit the bottom of that and hang out there for Try 30 those. seconds um ISOs are, are a very powerful thing. It's, they've kind of come back in vogue in the last year or so. Uh, they're finding lots of correlations with helping with tendon strength and so forth. But it's always a great place for me to start with people. Because with that, be, when you take away the moving parts, literally, it's a lot easier to, to figure stuff out. So, so get in the bottom of that. All right, I want you to feel where your pelvis is. I want you to feel how your foot's contacting the floor. I want you to feel what your spine feels like now. And we can make these little adjustments to create awareness. Because that's tough to do when they're moving up and down. So mm-hmm. doing these different positions, uh, and there's probably a, a, a sub. There's probably a subset of about five or six that I really like to use in, in the uh, beginning stages of training to get people aware of these positions and shapes and postures. To say, okay, get in that position now. Feel what it feels like to elevate your chest. Okay, now feel what it feels like to, you know, a QL. You spread out your collarbones and get open in your shoulders. Get your head back into a into a position. You, that's a lot easier to learn for the end user when they're in a static position first.
0: I like that idea. I mean, there's, there's versions of that. Like, I guess you could say something like a pause squat, where again, you're in one position. Um, but, but, uh, the idea of using isometrics for that, uh, I haven't quite heard that before. I think a study recently came out about calf training as well. That was, that looked at isometrics and saw a great benefit for, her, but I think that was for hypertrophy. Um, so speaking of a- athletics, what about, a an older guy, I'm not old, but an older guy like me, who's never been athletic. You know, one of the reasons I joined CrossFit, um, years ago was to get in that kind of environment. I mean, how would somebody like that, who doesn't, isn't looking to compete or, um, perform athletically, you know, as part of a team necessarily approach that, you know, what, what kind of goal would be a reasonable goal for them to
1: pursue? Um, Well, provided we've checked the box for movement competency and they have no restrictions there. They have a full menu to order from. Right. Um, That's where we look at some simple things. Um, And if I had to have a checklist of like desert island things that you could do, um, jump rope is going to be really high on that list. Okay. So it creates agility, not agility is the wrong word. It creates rhythm. Um, which is a huge, huge, uh, uh, huge, impactful thing on athleticism. I I had Lee Taft on our, on our uh, podcast, who's brilliant and talking about the impact of rhythm on athleticism. I always joke that uh, you look at the most athletic people they have two things. They have rhythm. I'm going to write a book and it's going to be called rhythm and glutes because you need to have some level of rhythm. There's, there's an elegance to when you watch a really good athlete, watch it. Tyreek Hill, run a route, watch a Steph Curry play basketball. There's a, there's just such a fluidity and rhythm to that. Um, and then you need to get the force power from somewhere and it's on that posterior chain. Most is where a lot of it starts. It's not all of it, but it's where a lot of it starts. So I joke, if you see somebody with a flat ass at a game, it's usually a referee or a spectator. Um, so you need to, so one of the ways to start with the rhythm and to also get you more elastic so you can get up on the ball of your foot, and you can have that elasticity, and and actually have the stiffness—not lack of range of motion, stiffness, but stiffness and spring in your ankle. Jump rope is a great place to start. Number one. Uh, from there, once you've established is, is that, some singles of
0: that, or doubles, or doesn't matter.
1: Just, just figure just it out it. in the beginning. Okay, just figure it. it out, and then, and then, what you want to have is some simple things. Number one is make sure the knee is straight, so you're getting that spring in the ankle. If you have what I call a squishy knee. And you keep collapsing, then you're all working from the hip, and the whole body's involved. You shouldn't look like that. You should look pretty much straight line, ear to ankle, and just spring off, spring off of that ball of your foot. Then there be should, should be a rhythm and cadence to it. Like I'll have people, and I'll just clap my hands and have them keep to a certain rhythm. I'll even put like an EDM or, you know, it's kind of, mm-hmm. you know, house music on the, and say, keep the beat to that, right? Create some rhythm and create some cadence with that. And can you do that? And then my last cue is always make it look easy. Like smile, relax, breathe through your nose. You shouldn't be grinding. You shouldn't be gripping the handles. Like get smooth and relaxed. That's going to have such carryover to athleticism, uh, whether you're playing pickup basketball or tennis or whatever it may be. Um, so that's where I start. And then from there, the, the, the next thing is sprinting right? Being able to sprint and like go all out because there's a big difference. And and that's why you see, go to, you know, go to any beer league softball game and you'll see a bunch of people with yanked hamstrings and, and, uh, torn Achilles because even though that person may go to the gym and jog, you know, five miles a day, there's a whole different representation and synchronization of how your muscles work. Um, when you change over from a jog to a sprint and then as soon as you have that high demand if i need to use this right now on your achilles on your hamstrings that's when they pop and they don't have that so you need to work up to do be able to do some sprinting and it doesn't have to be long you're not doing gassers here you're not doing this for conditioning you're doing it to be able to access the muscles you do have access the strengths you do have right away right and so can i just do and and uh there's some really simple protocols you could follow um Zach Daycamp from uh um where he's at TCU has some great protocols. Derek Hansen has this very simple 10 yards, 10 sprints uh, protocol that he uses. Just okay. sprint 10 yards all out, like hairs on fire, walk back, and then do it 10 times and then do okay. multiple rounds of that. Like really simple stuff like that. That's where I would start. And if I could only pick two, those would be the things I would do.
0: Jump rope and sprint. Yeah. I like that. I, I used to love the, uh, what is it? Death by sp- death by 10 meter sprints, <laughs> whatever they did in CrossFit. Um, that's, that's excellent. Uh, so, so we're kind of related to,
1: to No, that. I'm sorry to cut you off, but going back to that, yeah. that's sprinting for conditioning, right? Okay. I, that's not what I'm talking about. Yeah. Talking I, about. And so, okay. and that's, that really dependent on your goal. That's not, that's, and if you're doing it for conditioning, great. But mm-hmm. if you're doing it to improve your speed and athleticism, there needs to be enough time for you to recharge and have quality. And mm-hmm. so, like there's a there's a uh system <clears throat> that I use when I have athletes sprint where they'll sprint either for distance or for time, whether it's you're gonna sprint a 40-yard sprint or you're gonna sprint for five seconds, whatever it may be. And you're gonna take an amp in an ample amount of rest. So you may sure. take two, three minutes, and then your job is in your every rep is to to meet or beat or at least come within 10% of that last one. So if I gave you five, for easy math, I gave you five seconds to run 50 seconds or 50 and and you got 50 yards, your next rep has to be at least 45 yards in those five seconds. Once you can't meet that marker, your quality has gone down. And now all we're going to do is get really good at being slow. So That's, that's going to be my quality control. And if you can do that 10 times, great. If you get two and you lose your, you lose that quality and you drop off more than 10%, go home, you're done.
0: Interesting. So it, it almost sounds like uh, you can combine, maybe combine this. I know some people like to do short hit sessions Tabata or one to two, one to three ratio all out versus rest. It, it, it almost sounds like it could fit in there, you know, from a time efficiency standpoint with the addition that you control the quality, like you said, uh, and try to try to hit that time. Don't just you go all out to, and
1: start. Slowing you would down, have to yeah. be pretty fit to do this on a Tabata protocol or that shorter rest okay. period. Yeah. So if you're doing a okay. conditioning, that's going to be a different animal. Um, if you're, if you're doing it for speed, you need, you need a ton of rest and you're not right. going to do a ton of reps either. Right. Like if you go all out and do, you know, even six all out sprints, anywhere from, from 20 to 40 yards, you're going to know it. If you've it's done it point. truly the way you should do it. Um, there was a football team that I used to a high school football team that I used to work with a lot of their players. Their coach had this thing. And I guess, cause it sounded cool where they'd run 40, 40s and it was horrible. Horrible for every aspect. It doesn't translate to wow. football. It doesn't. It all it did was give me a ton of business because the amount of Achilles, low back, hip flexor strains, hamstring pulls that I got from this one school because that was their protocol. It was. It was great for business, but it was horrible what they put these kids through.
0: Yeah, that's crazy. So uh, I, I get your point, fair point about the uh conditioning versus the uh, athletic development and recovery, I think is important from a, from an even larger perspective for a lot of people that I see working out four or five, six days a week. Um, and I've gone through this myself where you just get beat up. Right. And it kind of, even when you t- try to take deloads, it seems to catch up with you and never quite go away. I mean, what, how, how do older folks manage that volume and manage that recovery who, who really like to work out?
1: Okay. So um, I use tons of analogies. So I I always explain this to clients in the beginning that um, you're basically uh, the farmer and you have seeds and you have soil. Your training is the seeds and the soil is what happens the other 23 hours in the day. Now, if you go and plant your seeds on a rubber workout floor, nothing's going to grow there. Um, so what makes you have rich, fertile soil? It's your it's your habits and activities. Those are the 23 hours a day. It's number one, your sleep. Number two, you know, or one B is your nutrition. So if you're up till two in the morning, you know, watching Netflix or playing Call of Duty and you're, you know, drinking soda or, or you know, bang drinks or all whatever it may be. And that's the only way you can keep yourself going, eventually, you know, you're just kind of living on credit event and that bill is going to come. Um, so what you do those other 23 hours gives you the fertile soil of where you can grow more. And so if you put an active focus on your recovery, it's going to allow you to train harder. I mean, the ultimate is when guys and, and people use steroids because it boosts your recovery. So they can train for, for endless time and, and you know, and and not break down as much. And as soon as they come off, they fall apart. Um, so, it's really managing how much how much recoverability have you built how much resiliency have you built and then that tells me how much i can push and how hard i can push and there are great markers you can use to kind of gauge that to know when it's time to peel back or when it's time to to go and i have a a readiness screen that i that i teach in our course and that i use do with my clients every morning it takes about 3 minutes and it looks at your movement competency for that day cuz maybe maybe you could rotate freely both ways uh last time i saw you but since i saw you you might have slept on the couch or had a cross-country flight or um you played you know 72 holes of golf and all of a sudden you can't rotate right and i was supposed to have you do some sort of you know medicine ball drill or something and I want to know that before I get started, right? So I look you. at your movement competency and then I look at some other markers that just kind of look at your overall global readiness, whether it's looking at your grip strength, whether it's looking at uh, a timed breath hold, or if you have technology that can tell me about your resting heart rate, tell me about your ear heart rate variability, all those things put into the soup, kind of give me a picture of where you're at as well as their own self-assessment. Um, and they're not going to offer that information coming in the door. They're going to come in and they are just assume they're going to do the workout. And then all of a sudden I put them through stuff and- you know, you normally hold your breath for about 25 seconds. Today was 14 seconds. What's up? Well, you know, I, I slept like crap. You know, I'm stressed out. Work's been really brutal. And now you're starting to reframe, okay, well, this isn't the same organism that I wrote this program for. Mm-hmm. I might need to change what I'm doing here. I can't plant the same seeds the same way that I thought. And so I need to adapt that program to that individual. So it, you know, looking at those factors, if you have Ability to to look a little bit deeper, and that's you know things like an aura ring that looks at your your sleep or something that looks at your HRV, like a Morpheus strap or or one of those types of things. Mm -hmm. It's gonna those the accuracy of some of those things comes into question sometimes, but it's it's not gonna if if we're not really if we're using it just for general awareness, it's to say wow, I never realized that you know when I have a couple drinks at night, my HRV crashes. Uh, Maybe let me maybe not try to have that drink and see if that affects my workout the next day, or if I go to bed a half. Half hour earlier, my workout. I'm a different person. My yeah. focus the next day at work is t- completely different. And again, it goes back to that that honesty and awareness piece of wow, I didn't realize these things I were doing were either building or detracting from my health.
0: Yeah, I love that. That not only the the 23 hours being the focus, but um, building that awareness. It, I mean, it's great when you have a coach who can help you do that assessment before the workout, but even collecting the data, like you said, and looking at the trend, um, I actually have an aura ring myself, so I know what you mm. mean, where you're just like, oh, what's happening? Or you ate too late, or you know, like you said, you had a few drinks, something like that. Um, all right, any anything else you want to share, Eric?
1: Oh, I go all day if we yeah, want to do share stuff. Right, we but could probably actually, talk shop have,
0: all day. I do have one cool question. What What's your favorite movement if you had to choose just one lift?
1: Just one lift. Hmm. lift. That's tough. Um, if I had to, it's going to be a, a, a kind of a a three way tie of if I had to go either some variation of a deadlift, right? Whether it's Single leg is, is probably the one I program a lot more than just a, a bilateral deadlift. But a, 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 if I'm going for the masses, I would say single leg deadlift. And then push up would be a close tie with that because there's so much that can get involved if you do a really good quality push up. Um, and then uh, not far behind would be some level, of some type of carry would be in there as well because I'm okay. looking for stuff that are going to check a lot of boxes at once. Um, so if I'm going you only give me one, I got to pick, pick one that's going to cover a lot of ground. So I would, I would probably go one, a B and C with those three.
0: Okay. No. And, and those are all unique. Uh, You know, I wouldn't have guessed, right? I, I would have thought you know, maybe a traditional big lift or something like that. So single leg deadlifts, you've inspired me to do more unilateral movements and isometrics now. And then you said push-ups and carries. So carries like farmer carries we're saying, right?
1: There, you could do overhead yeah. carry, farmer's carry, okay. rack right. position yeah. carry, unilateral, yeah. bilateral, uh, six position carry. There's there's so many different variations, but carries are going to get a lot of uh, of good things going in terms of posture body awareness um grip strength um just general you know you're getting core in there you're getting a ton of stuff going in there uh that you would never realize until you've actually done a carry and and, and realize how smoked you can be afterwards
0: i like it all right well this has been a lot of fun i do have one more question where can the listeners find you learn more about your work
1: Okay, easiest place is is the hub is just my website. It's just my name, Eric Dagati, E R I C D A G A T I dot com, uh, and on there I have you know links to all those projects that I'm working on, um, as well as a uh, ask Eric uh, button on there where you can just put in a question and it goes right to my email. Since you know platforms yeah. like this, we don't get a chance to interact with people, uh, so someone may hear this and say, Hey, I heard you talking about you know, carries, you know, where should I start with that? Or how do I pick my weight or how long do I carry, you know, those kind of things, send those to me. Um, And then as well as on my media page, I have all previous podcast appearances, uh, all my social media links. I try to do my best. It's tough to keep up, but I try to do at least one or two posts a day with just some informational stuff to kind of pay it forward. We'll do clips from the podcast that we put up. Um, So those are are, are great ways to keep in touch and, and follow me.
0: And that's the principles of performance podcast. Right.
1: principles of performance podcast. Okay. Yes, sir. Okay. Yes, I, I think uh, I missed that in the intro. <laughs> that's that's the, yeah, we're on YouTube and then all yeah. the different podcast platforms.
0: Make sure to download that. Um, and I'm going to include all those links in the show notes and Eric, thanks again for coming on the show. It was uh, a lot of fun talking to you.
1: Awesome. Greatly appreciate it.
0: Thanks for listening to the show. Before you go, I have a quick favor to ask. If you enjoy the podcast, let me know by leaving a five-star review in Apple podcasts and telling others about the show. Thanks again for joining me, Philip Pape, in this episode of Wits and Weights. I'll see you next time, and stay strong.